What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Week 10 already. So we got the 3-5 and five Packers visiting the 5-3 and three Steelers on Sunday. Packers, 3-5. and five. Steelers, 5-3. and Record-wise, looks like a bit of a mismatch. Now, we know most games come down to just a handful of plays, but on paper, 5-3 and Steelers at home against the 3-5 and rebuilding Packers. On paper, you probably look at that like a bit of a mismatch. Going to be a tough challenge for the Packers, and I think it will be a tough challenge for the Packers because just about everything short of the... Brett Rippon-led L.A. Rams has been a tough challenge for the Packers, but I'm not sure how much better the Steelers are than the Packers. And again, I don't think the Packers are very good. But to me, it's like a minor a minor miracle that the Steelers are 5-3. and three. I don't know how they're 5-3. and three. I mean, I do know how because I'm looking at their schedule right now. But it just, they don't feel like a typical 5-3 and three team. They're not bad. I just, I think they're very, very average. The Steelers are the first team in NFL history to give up more yards than their opponents in every game. They've been outgained by their opponent in every game this season, and yet they have a winning record at 5-3. and three. They're the first team to ever have that happen, to give up more yards to their opponent and have a winning record through eight games. So three losses this year for the Steelers. Season opener, they got blown out by the Niners, 30-7. Niners are good. They got blown out by the Texans, 30-6. The Texans have a stud young quarterback in C.J. Stroud, but that's that's pretty alarming, 30-6 in Houston. And then they lost 20-10 to to the Jags. Kenny Pickett got knocked out of that game. Their five wins, close win over the Browns, close win over the Raiders. They beat the Ravens by a touchdown. That's their most impressive win, undoubtedly, of the season because the Ravens look great. They beat the Rams by a touchdown in L.A., and they just beat the Texans 20-16. to Now, working against the Packers in this one, and part of this is like, okay, different teams, how much does it really matter? You know, like going into a given baseball game, sometimes you'll hear, you know, Brandon Woodruff's career record against the Mets is XYZ. Here's his ERA. It's like, okay, well, he was different eight years ago, and that Brewers team, that Mets team was different eight years ago, so what does it matter? Anyway, the history has not been kind to the Packers in Pittsburgh. They are 7-8 and all-time visiting the Steelers. The last time the Packers won at Pittsburgh was in 1970. Think about that. It was Bart Starr at quarterback. Maybe Big Al remembers that. If you do, Big Al, feel free. Don't be shy. Dial me up at some point during the show today. 1970, the Packers beat the Steelers 20-12. to Bart Starr, 14 of 32, 235 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. It was a nasty day, kind of like it is in Green Bay today. But the Packers won the game. 
By the way, Terry Bradshaw appeared in that game, too. He completed three of 20 passes, Terry Bradshaw, in that game. Three for 20, 110 yards and a touchdown. Anyway, that's the last time the Packers won in Pittsburgh, 1970. So in other words, neither Brett Favre nor Aaron Rodgers ever won in Pittsburgh, although both quarterbacks certainly beat the Steelers throughout their careers, just never in Pittsburgh. Obviously, Aaron beat the Steelers in Super Bowl forty-five. Long story short, historically, Packers haven't had a lot of success in Pittsburgh. Now, I do always enjoy the, the dope sheet that the Packers put out. And over their last five games against the Steelers, the Packers have scored at least 27 points. In all five games, over the last five times they've played the Steelers, they've scored at least 27 points. To me, though, file that one under historical statistics to not expect to happen on Sunday. 27 points against this Steelers defense seems highly unlikely. Again, I don't think the Steelers are very good. Their offense stinks, but their defense is good enough to keep them in games, and the Steelers win ugly. And the Steelers' defense is led by a, a little-known outside linebacker from Pewaukee, Wisconsin, actually. Hardcore football fans may have heard of him. I don't know. He's actually one of the best defensive players in the league. I'm surprised that more people don't talk about him. Trent Jordan Watt is his name. Some people call him TJ for short. Might want to keep an eye on number 90 in black and yellow on Sunday. Very quietly, he's second in the NFL with nine and a half sacks. I feel like he'll be a, an under-the-radar key to the game. I really do. Also, almost nobody remembers this, but it's true. Back in 2017, T.J. Watt was the 30th overall pick in the draft. The Packers held the 29th pick, but instead of picking Watt, the Packers traded down with the Browns. The Browns took tight end David Njoku at 29, Steelers took Watt at 30, and the Packers wound up with Kevin King at 33. Nobody ever talks about that. Ever. But the Packers also got fellow Badger Vince Beagle in the fourth round out of that trade, so at least they got the two-for-one, you know? So who really won the trade? I think it's too soon to tell. Maybe Kevin King will make a crazy comeback and get back on an NFL roster and wind up in Canton someday. It could happen. Here's what's going to happen next. We're going to get a little more serious with Christopher Carter, who covers the Steelers, for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Locked On Steelers podcast. It's the green and gold versus the black and yellow Sunday in Pittsburgh. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm a comedian. In my 20s, I wasn't like in a company, and I don't know like how marketing, sales. Yeah, you're a brand. You're a company. Yeah. and Like Jay-Z says, I'm a businessman. Yeah. Yeah. To that. Remind me not to quote any hip hop lyrics again. That was just a big miss. When you first said it, I'm like, yeah, it's a business, man. Yeah, I nailed it at the end. I pulled it together. It just took me a minute. The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. 
All right, up next for the Packers, on Sunday afternoon, the Packers go to Pittsburgh and look to start a winning streak for the first time this season. Of course, the Packers just snapped a four-game losing streak by beating the Los Angeles Rams at Lambeau on Sunday. And up next, they go to Pittsburgh to take on the 5-3 and three Steelers. And joining us now to talk all things Steelers from the Lockdown Steelers podcast and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, he covers the Steelers. His name is Christopher Carter. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm Mario Marcus. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk some Steelers. So, Chris, I mean, I'm not throwing stones by any means because we know the Packers are not very good this year. But I, I'll put it to you like this. The Steelers are 5-3. and three. That, That's a fact. But is it kind of a surprising 5-3 and three where you wonder, like, how they're actually 5-3? and three? Is that fair? So the funny thing is is that you look at some of these games, especially some of those early wins, and you're like, how did they pull them off? But if you've covered the Steelers and you know how this team works, you're kind of not surprised that they're 5-3 and three because those are the games that they want to win. Like Everyone's like, wow, they're winning all these games when they just they hold their opponent to 20 points or less, and then they, their offense does just enough at the last second. I'm like, yeah, but good look what, go look what they did to get nine wins in 2022 and how they got nine wins in 2021. That's where they've been the last two, two years. Uh, and another and another half on this, this year. Uh, I think the Steelers very much, they recognize, hey, they're a young offense, much like the Packers. They have a quarterback that they believe in who's still trying to put it all together. They know that Kenny Pickett has the fourth quarter gene because he is one of the best fourth quarter quarterbacks in the NFL this this year. Um, he already has uh, seven, fourth, uh, seven game-winning drives, six fourth quarter comebacks, uh, and he certainly played in those moments. They want to expand that to more. But they know right now what they have on their side is they have a defense that can get after it at all times. They can rush the passer. They have playmakers in the secondary. And they have an emerging guy in Joey Porter Jr. They have a lot of guys they believe in. And I think that's the combination that's allowed them to hang in the tough games. And when you have Mike Tomlin, you have a guy who knows how to keep a team steady in those tough moments. And that's why they've gotten to 5-3. and three. Uh, To your point, I mean, just from my perspective, I look at the Steelers and I feel like Every Steelers game is the same, you know. It's like a it's a lower scoring. Yeah. A lot of people would consider it ugly, but the Steelers like to win that way. And and you just hit on the key to the five and three start. Clearly, that defense. Uh, I was joking tongue in cheek earlier that some of our listening audience may have heard of the name T.J. Watt before. He's he's a pretty good football player. So just how good has the Steelers defense been, specifically T.J. Watt? I mean, T.J. Watt is. As long as he is not injured in a season, he is in the conversation for defensive play of the year, and I think he should be again this year. T.J. Watt is attracting all the double teams and still finding ways to get after the quarterback. I believe he has nine sacks right now on the season in eight games. He is pacing very well. And the thing is that teams are trying to take him away. You know, They're sending tight ends and running backs along with offensive tackles to hold him up. But that's allowed guys like Alex Highsmith, who had a record 10, 10 pressures in, the, in this last game, uh, where they won over the Titans. And now you've got Cam Hayward back. He missed all but one game in this first part of the season with a groin injury. He's back. So now you have those mix of guys and then emerging guys like Keanu Benton, the rookie out of Wisconsin, and mm-hmm. Nick Herbig, another rookie out of Wisconsin, who's already, I think, forced two fumbles this season. So you have a lot of emerging guys mixing with these veteran guys, especially up front, that are a problem. And that's the thing where I think a lot of people, if you're a, if you're a team, you don't understand because you sell your film. But if you're a fan, you forget about Alex Highsmith because you see T.J. Watt, and that's the thing. You're like, oh, man, just got to stop that guy. But Alex Highsmith has emerged as this supreme playmaker who will 
cause a lot of problems for your offense if you leave him unchecked. That's where I think the Steelers catch a lot of people uh, you know, in, in tough spots because you can only devote so many blockers to one person before the other person starts hurting. We're talking Packers-Steelers with Chris Carter from the Locked On Steelers podcast and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. So speaking of T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, you mentioned a couple other former Badgers, Nick Herbig and Keanu Benton. I think Packer fans would appreciate the Packers just keeping some of those guys in state, but that's another story. So the pass rush clearly a strength for the Steelers' defense. But what are some of the weaknesses? Do they have weaknesses on defense? Where are they kind of vulnerable defensively? So for a while, they were really struggling in the run game. They, that was the one thing that everyone was still shocked about. Like, how is this team not able to stop the run? But part of it was Cam Hayward was hurt, and he was he's the captain of the defense. He's the guy that's been the leader in the middle of the defensive line for so long. And I think that that messed with their chemistry. They also had a brand-new linebacker group that was kind of figuring out how to play with this defensive front. But I think over the past three or four weeks or so, that group has gotten sharper at that job, and they've been figuring things out now. One thing that's going to be interesting is they just lost Cole Holcomb, who had arguably been their best linebacker uh, this year for the season with a knee injury. So you still have a Landon Roberts who's been very good. He's, you still have Quan Alexander who's been very good. He's also had the game ceiling interception last week uh, at the end of, in the fourth quarter. Um, those guys are going to be there, but you're going to have a young guy, a former seventh round pick in Mark Robinson, stepping in as the third linebacker that they kind of let play in a little bit more in the rotation. That's where if I'm the Packers, if I can get, if I can find a way to get AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones rolling on the ground that might be my ticket if I'm the Packers that I want to hit on that and let, and then let Jordan Love build off of that because if the run game starts going and you get second and four second three or third and twos those type of situations then T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith they can't just key in on the pass they have to be prepared for the run as well and that can give Jordan Love a few more advantages on some key down. Let's go to the other side of the ball, Chris. Talk about that Steelers offense. Clearly, much like the Packers, the defense has been better than the offense. The Steelers are similarly young on the offensive side of the ball. And I've been I've been seeing some stuff out there, Chris, about some drama in the wide receiver room. Or not. Maybe it's overblown. I don't know. You know the drill. So tell me what's going on with George Pickens and this, this drama in the receiver room. So this all started because George Pickens was seen after Deontay Johnson catches what would be the game-winning touchdown against the Titans. Um, you, you didn't see him celebrate it with him, and you saw him kind of like being unhappy on the sidelines. And people took that as, a, oh, he wanted to score the game-winning touchdown, and he's mad that he didn't get his shine. And then you know there was you know he posted some things on Instagram that people were like, what does this mean? And of course, you know everything that a wide receiver in the NFL posts on the social media is seen as a cryptic message about something that everyone has to try to decode. Uh, and I thought Mike Tomlin addressed it the best. He's like, are we really going to – he called it a reality TV drama. And he said it's the way that it's covered. He's like, honestly, like that stuff means so little to us. He's like, listen, when George is frustrated about things, he tells me. And he said, like, you know, and I welcome him. He's like, I want guys to tell me when they're frustrated because they, that means they're wanting, they want to win. I take that problem head on every single time. And, I mean, we're talking to Mike Tomlin. This is the guy that kept Antonio Brown you know, looking sane on a roster for nine seasons before he, you know, everyone kind of saw, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's that Antonio Brown. He, he's got a few things uh, going on there. Uh, so Mike Tomlin, I think, has, has that under wraps. I think George Pickens' biggest thing is just that earlier that game, he missed a chance to toe tap and get a touchdown uh, that would have given the Steelers a, a really good cushion. 
and I think that he was kind of down on himself on top of not getting any numbers in that game. But they know George Pickens is talented, and Kenny Pickett talked about it after the game. They're like, hey, George is attracting like a lot of double teams right now, and that's opening up Deontay Johnson. That's opening up the run game. That's opening up everything else. So, you know, he understands that, and there's going to be times that they don't double-team him, and he'll be ready for that. So I don't think it's as big of an issue as it's being made out to be. I've talked about this a lot on the Locked on Steelers podcast and on the Post-Gazette's North Shore Drive podcast. Um, but I've been talking about how, how, like, hey, yeah, sure, this is something that's like a thing temporarily, but it is not this big circus that has been made out to be. Chris Carter from the Lockdown Steelers podcast and Pittsburgh Post-Gazette talking Packers-Steelers here on the fan. So you, you just mentioned the name Deontay Johnson. Between Pickens and Johnson, that's that's one of the better receiver duos in the National Football League. So, you know, as we as we draw some comparisons between the Packers and the Steelers offense, Jordan Love has literally the youngest supporting cast in NFL history around him. Like every single one of his pass catchers, first or second year players. Kenny Pickett has some more established weapons. Deontay Johnson, the most accomplished receiver that'll be playing on Sunday. So taking everything into consideration so far through eight games, it's his second season. You know, you don't want to rush to any conclusions. We know this drill, the same song and dance with Jordan Love. But how would you assess Kenny Pickett's performance so far this season? I'd say that Kenny's been inconsistent but promising. And and the thing is, is that when the Steelers have needed him in the fourth quarter, in, uh, the only the only games they've lost are the games they haven't been in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, except the Jaguars game. But again, Kenny Pickett didn't play in that game because he got knocked out with a late hit against the Jaguars. But mm. every time Kenny Pickett has been within striking distance. In the fourth quarter this season, the Steelers have won the game. And if you go look at his, at his splits and see his fourth quarter passer rating, it's in the top five in the NFL right now. Might even be top three at this point. I mean, we're literally talking about like with Patrick Mahomes and those types of guys. So Kenny Pickett, he can put it together in big moments. The thing is, is that sometimes he misses a routine throw or just doesn't see the right read in a certain situation. But those are things that I think that if you'd rather take, hey, hey, would you rather have a guy with a clutch gene that just needs to work on some fundamentals, or would you like be a guy that's like decent with fundamentals but can't really get it done in the late moments? You'd take A every time because you're like, you know what, I can coach that guy to get better and more consistent and do those things. That's what the Steelers are right now uh, You know, it's with, with Kenny Pickett. You know, Deontay Johnson also missed several games. His first game back was against the Rams, and he immediately had an impact on that game, and he's had an impact since his return. So I think the Steelers' offense, they're figuring things out. They're also getting better on the offensive line. Broderick Jones got his second start of the season. He's the offensive tackle. They traded up in the first round to get, and uh, he started against uh, the uh, the, uh, uh, the Titans, excuse me. And in doing so, he I thought the offensive line looked the best that it had all season. And uh, we got we got word from yesterday he's going to remain a starter on on the offensive line. They might move him around a little bit, but uh, he certainly has earned that. And I think that with him there. He is boosting the run game, which allows Najee Harris and Jalen Warren to get going. And then again, like with Jordan Love, that makes it so much easier for Kenny Pickett because now he's in less predictable passing situations, and he can catch you off guard with play action. He can hit you with something, and you're, while your defense is worrying about four different things, Kenny Pickett can pick at the one thing that he really wants to go to. So I think he's doing just fine. He's right on track with where uh, you, sure, you want him to develop a little bit faster, but I think that Kenny Pickett, as far as a developing quarterback, he's still a guy that I think the Steelers can and should believe in. Packers fans are not real big believers in defensive coordinator Joe Barry. Steelers fans don't seem to be real big believers in offensive coordinator Matt Canada. Correct? Fair? How are Steelers fans feeling about their OC? Listen, Marcus, 
if you look at the Pat McAfee show, they are in Utah, and there are people chanting "Fire Canada" in Utah. It is it is insane. It is, it is worldwide popular at this point that Matt Canada is not like an offensive coordinator. But you know what? I have been saying all year, and even leading into this year, Matt Canada's play calling is not this big enigma of a problem that people have made it out to be. The Steelers need to take what's there in a lot of his play calls. If you go back to a lot of the plays people complain about, you're like, well, wait a second. That guy was wide open here, and Kenny Pickett had a ton of time in the pocket. Why can't he make that throw? Or this guy was this guy was right here. If he, if he, if he makes this block here, Najee Harris has about 30 yards in front of him. Uh, you know, why can't they do that? The Steelers' problem has been consistency and execution, and that's where I think Matt Canada's biggest problem had been for the Steelers over the past, you know, his, his time here. But I think that one thing the Steelers did this last week, they made Matt Canada come out of the booth, and he came on the sidelines. He, he didn't object to it, and it led to their first opening drive touchdown of the season, and it allowed them to kind of get some momentum, and it allowed him to understand, hey, let's let's work with this. Let's let's tell let's communicate faster about which groups need to be better in certain situations with the matchups that we planned throughout the week. That has helped them. I think that Matt Cannon is certainly a talking point. And if this offense doesn't improve to at least be like you know somewhere in the middle of the NFL by the end of the year, they're at the toward the bottom right now. Matt Cannon won't be here next year. But I think that he is not nearly the problem child that people have made him out to be. Um, and if the Steelers can execute some of the basic things that are in his offense, just the simple, easy yards that are there with certain outs and slant routes, those things will start to open things up more in the offense. And then you'll actually get to see him have some play-calling prowess because it doesn't matter what trick play you call if, you're, if no one believes in anything that you do. Like Everyone says, oh, he calls the same plays. Andy Reid calls the same plays. Bill, Bill Belichick, when you had Tom Brady, they called the same plays. But you know what? Because they hit on so many different things, you couldn't worry about, you couldn't think about if this would be the same play or not, you're worried about, oh, man, am I going to get hit with this guy over there? Oh, man, is Travis Kelsey behind me, or is he coming this way, or is he going to do this, or is this a draw? Because they do so many things well. That's what the Steelers have to get to doing on offense. They have to execute well enough in at least three or four different phases that they have like certain concepts that teams are afraid of. And I think that they've developed about one or two of those that are working in their favor. If they get a couple more, that's when this offense will start clicking more, and you'll see people, I think even people a little bit, have calmed down about Matt Canada and Pittsburgh, especially the last two weeks. Well, Joe Barry has proven to be a good opportunity to get right for plenty of NFL offenses over the years, so there's that. All right, final question. Prediction, maybe some keys to the game. You look at the, you look at the point spread... It's a the over under for the total is thirty nine and the Steelers the standard three point home favorite, which I feel like is par for the course for both the Steelers and the Packers. A lot of low scoring close yep. games so far this year. So how do you think it shakes out and what do you think it'll come down to? I think it'll come down to who can create turnovers in big moments. You know, the Steelers got a big turnover in the fourth quarter against the Titans that helped them steal that game. Uh, Kenny Pickett was able to avoid any interceptions or fumbles that really helped them out. So if the Packers can get to Pickett, can get to the Steelers team and force some turnovers, that'll help them in their favor. Uh, you know, but if if the Steelers are able to play their style of football, if this is close going to the fourth quarter, if it's if it's close and, and Kenny Pickett's starting to catch rhythm, that's where I'd be nervous from the Packers. So yeah. get the Steelers out of a rhythm, get some pressure in there. I, I'd be as aggressive as possible early on to try to disrupt Kenny Pickett from establishing any rhythm. And if he does all those things, they'll be in they'll be in a spot to be able to kind of keep him out out of getting into his fourth quarter uh, mojo or whatever you want to call it uh, with how he's played late in games. So 
pressure is going to be so important in this game. Controlling the ground game is going to be so important in this game. And then making sure you finish the turnovers. And then who can be the guy, the guy who can make late plays? I saw Jordan Love be that guy against the Saints. We've seen Kenny Pickett do that well, like three or four times this year alone, combining even with last year. Uh, so I think those are their big keys. I think this is another low-scoring game. I have the Steelers winning 24-20 to in a tight one in Pittsburgh. That was going to be my next question. Do either Does either team get to 20, and you say both teams get into 20, but another close game, and that would surprise precisely nobody. Christopher Carter from the Lockdown Steelers podcast and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Chris, I know you're a busy guy running around. Thank you so much for taking some time. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, there he is, Christopher Carter. Follow him on Twitter at Carter Critiques. A great Twitter handle, and yes, I still call it Twitter, and so does everybody not named Elon Musk. Christopher Carter, good stuff there. Man, that AFC North is ridiculous. The NFC North, not so ridiculous. NFC North has one really good team, the Detroit Lions, and then the Vikings, I don't know, decent by NFC standards, but they're without Kirk Cousins, even though Josh Dobbs' fever's running wild there. We'll see how that shakes out. And then there's the Packers and the Bears. Meanwhile, in the AFC North, I mean, just think about that division. There is no bad team. Who's the worst team in the AFC North? The Browns, who have one of the best defenses in the NFL. The Ravens look like one of the best teams in the league. The Bengals have been playing like one of the best teams in the league after a slow start to the season. And then the Steelers, even though I still think it's shocking to me that they are 5-3, and three, that's just what they do. They win ugly. That, that division is crazy. All right, on another note, I was talking bad about Joe Barry. So what else is new? And I got to admit, the numbers with the run defense, since Matt LaFleur called them out, since Matt LaFleur called out the run defense after they got gashed for 200-plus by the Lions back in Week 4, the run defense has been pretty damn good, statistically. Three out of the last four games, the run defense has been pretty good. But I dove into the numbers a little deeper, and forgive me, but I'm skeptical. I still don't fully believe that this run defense is reliable. (gasps) Shocking, I know. I'll explain next. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? Reality remains reality no matter how hard you try to ignore it. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture, people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds when the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Okay, so the run defense. Let's dive in. How many times have we had this conversation discussing the Green Bay Packers' run defense and how unreliable it has been for a long time? Now, the numbers suggest that the run defense is improving. It has gotten better, and I'm not going to deny that. That's good. Step in the right direction. But color me skeptical on whether or not this is sustainable, that they've turned a corner and that suddenly the Packers' run defense is, in fact, now reliable. I'm not ready to go there, and here's why. Long story short, level of competition, okay? 
So on the season, the Packers rank 23rd against the run. This is just based on yards allowed per game. The Packers are giving up 124 rushing yards per game on the season through eight games. Now, the last two games specifically, the Packers' run defense has been really, really good. Against the Vikings and the Rams, the Packers have allowed an average of 65 rushing yards per game. That's it. Even more impressive, Packers have allowed just 2.3 yards per carry over the last two games. The Rams, 26 attempts, 68 yards, 2.6 per carry. And the week prior, the Vikings... 31 attempts, 62 yards, 2 yards per carry. So they've been good statistically over the last couple weeks. And actually, if you go back even further, in three of the last four games, the Packers have been what you would call stout against the run. They've been really good. They held the Raiders to less than 100 yards back in week five, just 3.3 yards per carry. Then they had the bye week in week six. Then they reverted back to their old form and got gashed by the Broncos. They had a bad day against Denver. But since then, they've bounced back with two really solid showings in run defense against the Rams and the Vikings. So, has the run defense improved? Should we really believe it? Is this a sign of things to come? Is this a sign that things have actually changed, that they've corrected one of, if not their biggest problem? So over the past month, in the in the three games that the Packers have been, again, I'll say stout against the run, the three of the last four games that they've been good against the run, who have they played? Which running games have they shut down, if you will? Well, most recently, the Rams. Right now, the Rams rank 17th in rushing offense. However, they're without their starting running back, Kyron Williams. They're without big right tackle Rob Havenstein that was the Rams B team in terms of running the football Kyron Williams was really good Daryl Henderson and Royce Freeman I mean you watched them just like I did on Sunday not exactly making something out of nothing and there wasn't a whole lot there for him Packers have no reason to apologize for that but I just consider the level of competition so the Rams ranked 17th running the football this season but the version the Packers just faced Put it this way, if the Rams had played the entire season without Kyron Williams, without Rob Havenstein, they're not 17th in the league in rushing right now. That was a bad, bad offense the Packers played. Now they shut them down, 68 yards allowed on 26 carries. Prior to that, of course, the Vikings, Packers shut them down, 62 yards on 31 attempts. But the Vikings are 29th in the league right now running the ball, averaging just over 81 per game. Prior to that, the Raiders, the first game they actually showed signs of improvement against the run. They shut the Raiders down less than 100 yards, three yards a carry, but the Raiders right now rank 31st in rushing offense, and at the time, they were dead last running the ball. So again, forgive me, but I'm still still skeptical about this Packers run defense turning a corner. Yes, the numbers have been undeniably better over the past month. But they haven't played anybody who can or will run the ball consistently. By the way, the Pittsburgh Steelers coming up on Sunday. The Steelers right now rank 25th in the NFL 
averaging just over 90 yards per game. It'll be a better test than the the watered-down Rams or the Vikings or the Raiders in terms of running the ball, but it's not that much better. So if you run it back, again, I think you can look at this entire season, and even though the numbers look better for the Packers' defense in general, you have to consider, or you should consider, I think, the level of competition. Let's run it back to the first month of the season, okay? Remember when they got gashed by the Detroit Lions? Of course you do. Week 4, Thursday Night Football, the Packers gave up 211 yards rushing on 43 attempts. 4.9 yards per carry. David Montgomery had the best game of his career. 32 carries, a buck 21, three touchdowns. After that game, Packers head coach Matt LaFleur said that they had to do something different and delivered this memorable quote. Right after Joe Barry's defense surrendered 200 yards rushing for the second time over the first four games. Yeah, uh, we're going to have to do something different because it's insane to do the same things over and over again and expect a different result. Packers gave up 211 yards to the Lions in week four after giving up 211 yards exactly to the Falcons in Week 2, and LaFleur was fed up. So that quote came after the Week 4 blowout loss to the Lions. Since then, as I said, the numbers have been better. Four games since then, the run defense has been good in three out of the four games. Here's what the Packers' defense has given up on the ground in the four games since that Lions game. Again, against the Raiders in week five before the bye. The, the next game, right after they got blown, this is after the mini bye. They get blown out by the Lions, get gashed on the ground. 10, 11 days later, they go to Vegas to take on the Raiders. They were better. Gave up 96 yards on 29 attempts, 3.3 per carry. Then they had the bye week, week six. They come out of the bye, they go to Denver. Ugly. Ugly. They gave up 145 rushing yards on 25 carries. That's 5.8 per pop. Just a blip on the radar, though, because over the last couple weeks, against the Vikings and the Rams, two of the worst rushing teams in football, the Packers have allowed just 65 yards and 2.3 yards per carry. That's been good. That's been better. Now... Recently, after they completely shut down the Rams' rushing attack, once again, the Rams without Kyron Williams, shorthanded on the offensive line as well, Packers shut them down to 68 yards on 26 attempts. 2.6 yards per carry was all the Rams could muster up with Daryl Henderson and Royce Freeman with something called a Brett Rippon under center, who has since been waived. But head coach Matt LaFleur was pretty pleased with the run defense overall, and it wasn't just the front. It wasn't just Isaiah McDuffie blowing plays up behind the line, shooting the gap, or the D-line holding strong, or Devondre Campbell making plays. Those things happened, but the secondary coming up in run support as well. Some of the young corners, Carrington Valentine, Keyshawn Nixon was a physical guy against the run. Jair, physical certainly by his standards. Jonathan Owens... So the, the run defense was solid overall against the Rams. They have no reason to apologize for it. And Lafleur talked about the secondary helping out, too, in run support. Yeah, I thought those guys were, were filling hard. Uh, our safeties, J.O. was triggering, um, you, you know, and a lot of those 
crack situations, and then the corner's got to be there to crack or place. Yeah, I thought all in all it was it was pretty solid. They still had a couple runs that kind of got loose on us a little bit, but I mean that they get paid too. So, uh, but all in all, I thought it was a, a, a positive day. It was, and again, uh, what's the third time I've said this? Packers have no reason to apologize. I've just I've seen some people bring up that the numbers are better, that the run defense for the Packers seems to have turned a corner. Look at the numbers. And I just wanted to highlight, I have looked at the numbers, and I've looked a little deeper at those numbers, and I've come to the conclusion that I still don't trust Joe Barry's run defense. Shocking, I know. But the Rams shutting them down without their starting running back, without Rob Havenstein, playing with a backup quarterback, one-dimensional offense as is. All right, you shut down the Rams, but I would hope you're able to do that. The Vikings can't run the ball on anybody. 31 attempts, 62 yards. Now, the Vikings also came into that game without a rushing touchdown, and they checked that off against the Packers. Cam Akers scored their first rushing touchdown of the season. So, But whatever, you know, you don't hold that against them. 62 yards on 31 attempts. That's really good against anybody. But the current state of the Rams, at least the version of the Rams the Packers just played on Sunday along with the Vikings and along with the Raiders, the three games out of the last four that the Packers' run defense has been statistically better. Let's face the facts. Those are three of the worst rushing teams in all of football. So, once again, jury's still out on Joe Barry's run defense. If they go to Detroit on Thanksgiving and shut down the combination of David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs then I will give him all the flowers. Bravo, Joe. You proved me wrong. I just can't go there yet. And frankly, I don't think we're going to get a, a definitive answer on Sunday against the Steelers either. They're 25th in the league in rushing. And then after that, the Chargers, they're not much of a running team either. They'll probably throw it all over the yard with Justin Herbert and Kellen Moore calling the plays. It's a step in the right direction. Again, I mean, I don't want to hold this team to... a a ridiculously high standard because I don't think they should be. It's a young team. They're developing, and every sign of improvement should be considered a positive. You can only play who's on your schedule, and they've shut down some some really poor rushing teams over the past month or so. All I'm saying is you got to consider the level of competition. And if the Steelers got their running game on track as unproductive as they've been rushing the ball this year, Would anybody be shocked if Jalen Warren or even Najee Harris, who kind of sucks, would anybody be shocked if the Steelers' ground game got a little busy against the Packers? I mean, I hate to sound like a pessimist. I just think I'm being a realist when I say I wouldn't be shocked. Still skeptical on the run defense until they shut down a team that is actually good running the football. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? Reality remains reality no matter how hard you try to ignore it. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture, people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds when the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. 